This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards. And I'm David Merrill. And we are here in the beautiful Big Sky State, Montana. Up here near Flathead Lake with our buddy Joe Bartley. How are you, Joe? Good, good. It was good to have you guys up here. We had a pretty good time today. So Yes, we did. So Joe's with Blue Creek Outdoors, and he invited us up to go do some fishing out on Flathead Lake, which I've never been to in my life, never been to this part of Montana. And I got to say, Joe, you got a good thing going on up here. It's a good spot. We'll try to keep a little bit of a secret, I guess, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a really cool spot to be, you know, after growing up in Dubois kind of found this spot up here and it kind of reminded me a lot of home and it's good to be up here in the mountains and on the flat land of eastern montana again no hate to anybody out there but i lived out there for a couple years and i was like i'm good i can (laughs) go back to the mountains (laughs) for sure so we were lucky to end up here got your mountains and you got your wildlife and it's a beautiful place to live but one of the things that david and i noticed driving up a green carpet so pretty this time of year yeah i mean and it's stunning yeah driving i-90 and then getting up here and coming north it's just gorgeous yeah you get up into this corner and it's kind of a lot more like pacific northwesty we get a lot of rain and a lot of different types of growth and undergrowth in the forest and stuff it's not quite like central montana or wyoming where it's a little bit drier it's it's really thick and really green up here most of the year so well you do have an epic lake at your back door and yep we want to say thanks for inviting us up we did have a pretty good day out on the lake i i will tell you i bested my personal uh best fish by an inch we, there you we go well you know we've, we've grown it you know <laughs> Yeah, inch by inch, man. Inch by inch. Eventually, I'm going to get one of them Lakers that is, uh, you know, what I see everybody else posting. But I see you posting them. So they they do exist. They do exist. Maybe we get like on a bull trap too. Something next time if we come back and maybe hit the whitefish bite sometime too. That'd be pretty cool. So yeah, but it's an incredible place. The views are great. And there's clearly a lot of wildlife around here too. And so, you know, we've never done an in depth thing on Montana. And I thought it'd be kind of cool because you're a Wyoming boy originally, just like yep. me. And now you've come up here. Yeah, trader. What's it, what's, trader. Yeah. <laughs> what's it been like coming from Wyoming to Montana? What's that adjustment been like? People-wise, it's pretty much the same, I guess. But as far as like outdoor activities go, I will say that you can get a lot more tags in your pocket in Montana if you're willing to do a little bit of traveling around the state as far as doe tags and, and bee tags and things like that. And there's some areas where you can kill up to five does and other travel to other areas to get one or two other tags in your pocket as well so i mean just the amount of hunting you can do on a year-to-year basis is probably a little bit more than than at home which is pretty cool but other than that it's about the same you know there's the areas that have you know a long draw like the breaks and the elkhorn mountains and stuff like that you're going to be putting in for a hot minute before you have a chance at drawing those but there's also really great opportunities for general tags up here in northwest montana there's some mule deer hunting it's not it's not very good. It's mostly whitetails up here. So if you, if you want to be a serious, you know, if you want to go after a serious mule deer, Eastern Montana is a great spot for that too. So if you're willing to travel around a little bit, there's great spots for everything. So And you, the fishing is incredible in this yeah, state. Yeah. <laughs> to fishing is incredible. You're showing me the whitetail you got on film 
uh, two seasons ago now? Yeah, yeah. Well, this fall be three seasons ago. Yeah, that was actually right after that doll sheep hunt. We came home and did that one. But it's a nice white tail buck for sure. Yeah, yeah. He, he's impressive. Yeah, he was out of central Montana. And as far as fishing goes, too, one thing that's in Montana that I haven't actually caught or tried to catch yet is a is a um, paddlefish. Mm-hmm. Those are over there in the Missouri, and um, you can you can over the counter fish for them as a release, um, but you can draw a tag to keep them. So I think that'd be pretty cool to keep one. I, I, I don't like keeping fish that grow to be that old typically, but keeping one would be kind of cool to, <laughs> to get a mount of and things like that. But it, that'd be a cool fish to catch. That would be a cool one. And yeah. I mean, you're dodging ice flows a lot of times when you're yeah. fishing for them and snagging them. Mm-hmm. And for the people who don't know, it is snagging. You're basically casting a big hunk of lead with a big hook yep. on it and trying to get them. But you know, everybody I've, I've talked to said it's really cool when you do actually catch one. Yeah. But your arms will get tired. Yeah, real quick. <laughs> Coming to Montana, what's been the biggest shock? Like um, biggest change for you that's like, oh, I didn't expect that. I guess when I was in college, I kind of finished up college. And growing up, I knew people spring bear hunted over yeah. baits and stuff. But I never, I guess I never really like thought about doing it myself. And then when I came up here, I was like, heck, it's April 15th. I could go hunting right now. Like, so I started doing that my senior year of college. And at the time, Montana was spot and stock only. So I basically hunted for, I got really lucky and saw two bears the first season I ever went out and I was, had no idea what I was doing and did nothing right. I just got super lucky, got hooked on it and hunted for two more springs, like totally by myself, like just trying to get the hang of it and did not get the hang of it (laughs) and then started getting, you know, kind of honed in a little bit on what to do and how to go about it. And then have had some success the last uh, couple of years in a row, but, um, and, and, and finding good bears too. That's been kind of the key as well as like kind of getting good at finding a bear and then getting good at finding a good bear. A this big year bear, you so. got a really good bear. Uh, that last year I killed a really good one. And this year I actually took a, I was going up, um, just here pretty close to the house and told a buddy of mine, I was going up and he'd never killed a bear before. And he was like, well, can I come with you? And I was like, yeah, by all means, we'll, we'll hike in there and have a good time. And, um, we actually hiked in pretty far and I, in my opinion, I was kind of looking around and I, we glassed for a little while and I was like, I think there's too much snow up here. I think we're too high. Like, I think we should call it quits in this drainage. I was like, I just think we're a little too early for this drainage, but we'll go, we'll go hunt the next one the next day or whatever. And I, I got up, we were a long ways from the truck. I put my pack on, got my sticks. He was standing up or whatever. I took one last look up the drainage and I was like, Oh my gosh, there's a bear. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he was like, what are we going to do? And I was like, we're going to go kill that bear. And I was like, if you want it, it's your bear. It's a decent one. And he was pretty excited. So we actually, he was in a perfect spot for a great stock. We got in a good shot and um, he made it, he made a perfect shot on his first bear, which is kind of cool. So if someone's first bear is kind of a cool, a cool moment, you know, it's when you get a little more picky and stuff, it's always a good time to kill a good bear, but somebody's first bear is kind of a cool thing. It's just kind of a different feeling, I guess, than deer elk hunting. So, so I've noticed this with other bear hunters and it's, myself included when you first go on your first couple especially spring bear hunts because what else are you gonna do yeah you can go fishing a little bit patrick but oh i will (laughs) you know that you get to go big game hunting in the spring which you know growing up in dubois i'm sure it was just you waited till opener in the fall and you guys hunted when tags and freezers are full you were done for the year yep so it's definitely a way to get out and extend your season and get all your gear out get to go out and actually spot and stalk a big game animal yep. but bears specifically my first bear hunt especially spot and stock spring i just wanted to see a bear mm-hmm. and then i just wanted to harvest a bear any bear didn't care yep. right but as you start to become a little more prolific with 
spring bear hunting, you get to be a little picky. You want a big bear, yeah. right? Yeah. I think the downside to spot and stock only, like the, the plus side to baiting is people, you can be a little bit more particular. The downside to Montana's spring season is that I, there's a lot of two and three year old bears that get killed, which is fine. Like I don't, you know, I'm not going to begrudge anybody of that, but they're such a hard animal to judge. There's ground shrinkage is real on a bear. <laughs> you know, when you see a big one, you definitely know it for sure. But I've also killed a couple bears that, you know, I thought were something maybe that they quite weren't. And then you get up there and it, you know, it's not the end of the world, but you're just like, oh, it's not quite the bear that I thought it was when it was all by yeah. itself up on the mountain. But so I guess that's kind of the drawback to it. Um, last year, I think, yeah, a year ago was the first spring that they did a, a hound season. And I guess I might kind of rub my hound houndsman friends the wrong way here, but um, I was not a fan of them passing that in Montana. Um, you know, they, they say that cubs aren't going to be a big deal. They'll get up trees quick enough and stuff. But I, I just think if you're going to have a hound season, I would prefer it to be in the fall um, after they've grown up a little bit and have a little bit more life experience under their belt before hounds start chasing them, which it's only it, technically it's only um, open for areas that aren't grizzly bear habitat. Um, so that's one thing that kind of helps out, I guess, a little bit. But it's not the end of the world. I just kind of like that Montana was a spot and stock only state, but it's, it's, it's whatever. <laughs> yeah. What's been your favorite thing moving here besides the bear hunting? Um, there's just a lot of country and I mean, there's country here and in Wyoming too, you know, it's just, there's in, in some ways it's like similar, but then in, at the same time, you know, I didn't grow up here or anything. So there's a lot of places here that I kind of stumbled into or just digi scouted or whatever and then hiked into them it, it, it was just kind of a cool thing to carve out some of my own hunting areas that i had to forge on my own you know because mm -hmm. growing up or whatever you just go with family friends and stuff into places that they've been going so and all that's pretty cool it's kind of nice to have a spot that you know like the back of your hand but it's been kind of a cool thing to hike into a spot and like oh this is not what i thought it was i'll go somewhere else and then you go into another spot and it's better than i thought it was going to be so this is going to be a new honey hole for me so that's been kind of a cool thing is to kind of forge out your own spots that you learn and, and have to explore on your own. So that's been a pretty cool thing. Yeah, and Montana's been growing like crazy. A lot of people yeah. moving here. Talk about the geography of the state and how different parts of the state are vastly different yeah. than the other parts of the state. Yeah, um, I worked in eastern Montana for a couple years after college, and um, there's the Missouri Breaks, and then there's just like the, the Yellowstone River has kind of some breakish material, you know, ground, and then south-central Montana is like really these rolling hills with a lot of pine trees and stuff, and there's the deer hunting, the mule deer hunting, and the antelope hunting out there is pretty phenomenal. I uh, I have yet to kill like a really nice eastern Montana mule deer. That's kind of my mission for this fall. We'll see if we can make that happen, but it's 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 kind of a its own challenge in its own right. It's really cold out there in the wintertime, especially. Mm -hmm. um, you can see a long ways. The country's pretty vast. But then when you start to get into that break, kind of north of Jordan or along the Missouri up there, there's really rugged, rough country in there with pinions and junipers and stuff like that. And it's it's just a cool cool aspect. And then the farther you go west, there's these mountain ranges kind of pop up, like the snowies and the crazies and stuff. They just kind of pop up out of nowhere. And uh, mm -hmm. so hunting those kind of isolated mountain ranges is really cool. Um, I spent a lot of time in the little belts in college. That was a pretty cool place to hunt. And, um, they just kind of all have their own unique characteristics. And then you farther you come West, you just kind of hit the Rocky mountain front that just is solid mountains. And, you know, we get big valleys like here in the flatheaded Valley and stuff, but for the most part, you can get into some pretty serious country in, uh, in not very much time. And the Bob Marshall is just a little bit east of here too. And I've kind of flirted with the outskirts of it and pushed into a little bit, but without horses, that's kind of tough country to tackle too. So there's some wild, wild country here, you know, kind of like Western Wyoming, but you know, it's being up here. I, w I was 
not used to the 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 type of climate up here in northwest montana how much it rains and the foliage that's up here and that's how thick it is that's one thing that i have struggled with because i like to glass (laughs) (laughs) and that's not something that's happening up here in a ton of places so it's been cool though it's uh you know i've gotten better at whitetail hunting got better black bear hunting and just kind of forces you to adapt some adapt to your environment a little bit so you know there's a premise there of i think of some of the books call of the wild and white fang some other there's some other books you know, they're more children's books, I guess, that I read growing up, but there's a premise in all those books, My Side of the Mountain, Far Side of the Mountain, of always going over the next ridge and seeing what's over that next ridge, <laughs> yeah. right? So, yeah, it's cool to go back to the family traditional hunting spot and have the big camp and and go do that, but it's also really neat to just, like we've done in the Brooks Range or like yep. we've done on Kodiak, go to a brand new place, go to a new reservoir that you've never mm-hmm. fished before. Yep. And get to go discover, you know, know some similarities. Deer are going to utilize the habitat the same way that lake trout are going to utilize habitat in different lakes. But to be in that new place, that you get a taste of that new experience. You you mentioned earlier. I think that's why you're you're liking some of this is you're getting to. Oh, I'm going to go check out this new drainage. Yeah. I've never nobody's ever been in. It might be bust. It might be good. Yeah. But <laughs> you mentioned getting to take a new hunter for the first time on their bear, right? Mm. And it's the same thing Patrick has taken a kid for their first lake trout or taken yeah. somebody for their first doe anything. You get to re-experience what it was like for you the first time. Mm. That's why I like to take kids and youth and, and newbies. And I don't care if you're an adult, if you've never gone bear hunting before, I'm be like, yeah, let's, I'm not going to shoot a three-year-old bear, right? And it's just, no, I'll go out and take photos and I'll go bear hunt and go glass them. But mm. we see that across the drainage up a steep slope on a green. I'm like, yeah, it's a, there's a bear. Yep. You take a newbie, it's like, yeah, let's go after that bear. Like, you really want that one? Okay, it's it's legal. Yeah. It's it's fine. I'm not saying don't do it. It's just not my bear. Yeah. I'm glad you're you're giving yeah. back, so to speak. Like two years ago in 2021 was the first year I didn't kill a bear, but it was be- I didn't kill one because I chose not to. <laughs> not because I couldn't find any. No, because you couldn't find So one. that was the first yeah. year that I kind of finished up the season. And I, uh, I felt, obviously, I want to get a bear every spring, but I felt fine. I felt good about it. I was like, you know what, I had three different bears in the crosshairs that spring and just was like, nope, that's not the right one. So that kind of, I've heard people say like, oh, it's not about the kill. Well, for me, it is a little bit about the kill. I, I want to kill a bear. I was a little disappointed, but at the same time, I was kind of like, well, you know, it's just the cards didn't stack up. You can do everything right and still still just come up a little short, which is which is fine. But if you put in the effort, it's kind of a, if there's nothing more you could have done, then you're, you're good to go. So, so what are some things you're going to look at specifically for black bear in the spring to determine some size demographics. Yeah, I, I think w- the the immediate things that pop out to me anyways are kind of, um, I look their head. Their head is the first thing. You know, if it's like a big boar and they've got a, just a pumpkin noggin on them, that's the first thing that pops <laughs> out to you. Pumpkin head bear. Yep, that's the first thing. And then if it's one that I'm kind of, um, you know, a little bit on the fence about or whatever, this sounds kind of goofy to say, but I just want to watch them for a little while to see how they act. The, the, boar, the bear that my buddy killed this year was a sow, and I was 99% positive it was a sow because they just, they're just they just a little bit more timid. They're a little bit more aware of what's going on around them. They're a little bit more, not skittish is the word, but they just have... They're and, careful. Yeah, they're more careful, and they have more situational awareness, I feel like. L- looking I, both directions, looking yeah, up, not just... Yeah. A big boar kind of saunters into the meadow and just yep. starts digging, the, and he doesn't look behind him very often. The right? black bear I killed last spring was the biggest bear I've ever killed, and I saw him him in my binoculars and I probably looked at him for about 10 seconds because 
that's what it took for me to knew, know. Like I was like, we're going to go after that bear. That's all there was to it. And then we got into about 250 yards and he had no cares in the world. <laughs> that was his meadow. And he was not worried about anyone else in the area. Like that was, he was pretty chill. He was eating grass. Like he was angry at it. Like, um, he, he was not looking around, <laughs> was not, not worried about anything. So, um, I just think their characteristics and how they act. And if it's kind of a bear that's on the fence, and they are hard to judge. Like three years ago, I killed a sow that I was almost positive was a boar. And I was with my dad's cousin who was a biologist, and he thought it was a boar too. So um, it's just one of those things where, you know, you can look at a lot of them, but some of them are just tough to tell. It's just, it's just, it's not a perfect science. But if they look like they have really long, skinny legs, it's probably a pretty young bear. So that's one thing I'm not going to probably go after. It looks, if it looks skinny and long-legged, you know, they just kind of fill out as they get older. Even the ones in the springtime that don't have a ton of fat on them, if it's a mature bear, they just kind of look a little huskier than than a younger bear will so um like the bear that my buddy killed this spring there was not an ounce of fat on it which was kind of you know usually i see a little bit sometimes there wasn't anything on it so mm -hmm. it just kind of depends it's just it's just one of those things where if i sit next to somebody and we're looking at a bear i kind of tell them like oh hey you see how it's kind of looking around or you see how its legs look a little gangly <laughs> you know it's just mm -hmm. one of those things or their ears too i look a lot at their ears if their That's ears look I like they're mention. sitting on top of their head then it's a pretty young bear a big mature boar with a good head on him the ears are going to kind look like they're more off to the side of the so head. they kind of so, rotate down yeah. in a way their yeah. ears never grow right their ears are pretty much the same size mm -hmm. from when they're a year old to when they're 20 years old and yeah. but their head continues to and so if they got those ears that you know are on top of their head stick up and are they look like they had a lot of ear they're a young yeah. bear but if they if it the ears kind of start to almost mold into yeah into the head yeah and just kind of fall off the side there too and it's it's one of those things too where i i've heard a lot of people say a lot of different numbers but typically about a spring bear will be about of you know 30 percent plus heavier in the fall too so in the fall sometimes they can be a little bit tougher to judge as well because you know what maybe was an obvious sow in the springtime you know maybe it will look a little bit bigger in the fall and a little more filled out and stuff and montana is not known for bears with big skulls i've seen some bears that were I mean, last year, I can't remember the guy who killed it, but one of my buddies was with a guy um, up here that killed a bear that was seven feet five. It was a huge black bear, but I, I can't remember what the skull measured out at, but it wasn't earth shattering. That's one thing that happens as well as, you know, you, you'll kill a bear that you're like, man, this is a big bear. And then you get the skull measured out and it's not what you were thinking so it was going to be. So you're saying it's not like a Vancouver Island black bear. No, not skull wise. A, a skull. No, no, not by any means. They've got a big body. Yeah, yep, exactly. They've got a big body, which is which is fine with me because I like black bear meat. So, <laughs> and in the springtime, I like to use the. Uh, I pretty much just make sausage out of them, and then if I don't fill my spring tag like I did this spring, it's not that big a deal because if I kill a fall bear, then that makes I like stew meat out of a fall black bear, especially up here with a lot of huckleberries, and blueberries. So, what is the difference between? dissecting a carcass of an ungulate deer elk antelope and a bear is there any similarities is there some differences i don't really notice much of us i mean obviously they look a little bit different but as far as how you go about it it's about the same one thing i've noticed is that their tenderloins are really small um that's kind of really the main thing that i've noticed difference wise but um and you know a lot of that it kind of just depends on the time of year too. the springtime fat, the stuff that I've cut off of bears in the springtime is kind of tallowy and waxy. And, um, I don't cook with that stuff. I mean, that stuff's pretty good if you want to like waterproof your boots and stuff like that. But the fall, the fall bears that I've killed have been a really thick white, 
um, like a, almost like a snow white fat. I mean, and we're the, the, the couple that I've killed, man, they had like three to four inches it's of like, it on the back. It's like their, pork fat. Yeah. It's yep. That's the stuff fat. that we cook with here at the house and bake with and things like that. So, so do you render it down then? Yeah. And make, yep. Make barrel oil. Yep. It's super easy. You just uh, cut it into like one inch cubes and then put a little bit of water in a pot and then fill it up with those and get it boiling. And, uh, basically what will happen is over time it'll make your house stink real bad so <laughs> but maybe do it in the garage or- <laughs> yeah over time they just uh everything that boiling water just seeps seeps everything out of the f- cubes and you'll just skim them off the top like pork rinds after they've kind of depleted everything that's in them mm-hmm. and then you just uh use cheese cheesecloth and a wire whisk filter or whatever and pour it into mason jars and we stick them in the fridge and that's about it and it lasts a really long time so. yeah there's another method you can try too where it's something i've done with pork fat which has been really kind of a game changer for me is you run the fat through a grinder your coarse grinder setting hmm. yeah <clears throat> and then you take it and you just pile it into a crock pot as full as you can get it Ooh, that's a good idea and no lid but turn it on let it cook up what happens is all the oil separates from the tissues the tissuey stuff floats to the top same thing you skim it yeah but it goes way faster and you get a higher yield because you've ground it down and it breaks that yeah, tissue down. That's a pretty good idea. I'm going to try that one. <laughs> and you can still enjoy the, the yeah. cracklings, you know, yeah, off the yeah. top, but you should try that sometime. It's, it's kind of a cool way to do it. Yeah, that's really cool. I've tried that out. But I've heard bear oil is amazing. I've never had a chance to actually use it in cooking, but I really like bear meat. Yeah. I had a buddy in Cheyenne that had brought some spring bear to uh we were we were fishing at glendo and we caught a bunch of walleye and then we did like a surf and turf kind of thing and uh he had made these bear steaks and man it was really really good stuff there's two things that i've heard about bears that neither one of them i've found to be true and the first one was that bear meat's nasty now i don't cook the back straps and cut them up into steaks or anything like that so you know i can't speak to how that would be because maybe that is gross i don't know i i only make spring bears into sausage and ch- i made a bunch of cheddar worse last year and then in fall bears i pretty much just make into stew meat and it's something that's going to cook a long time throughout the whole day or whatever but i think we're getting ready to have some cheddar worse here later yeah right? yeah yeah we so definitely are go about how do you out. make those so last year was the very first time i tried and i literally just googled a recipe for smoked cheddar worst and i followed the recipe to a t but i think they're, they, they're really good. The flavor's good, but they're pretty dry. So I think I probably should add some more fat next time. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to prevent that, I guess. If anybody out there has an answer to that, then hit me up and tell me because they're pretty dry. Um, I think part of that too was that I smoked them to 160 because you really want to get that high temperature on the bear meat. So maybe that probably yeah. had something to do with it as well. But other than that, they're pretty good. So I, I, I like that recipe quite a bit. But and that is one uh, issue with bears for sure is yeah. 100% eat the meat. Yep. But... There's there's no medium rare on bear meat. They no. they have several yeah. several pathogens that you want to make sure you get cooked out. You can ask Ranella. Yeah, and I typically leave this I, everything in a calendar year that I kill. I pretty much uh, leave it in the freezer in sometimes whole quarters until Christmas time because that's when my wife pretty much we we bust out everything that was killed that year and do all of our processing in about a week. So we've done like four or five deer, a couple elk, and a couple bears in the space of a week. It's just meat processing. It's a long week, but we kind of like our system that way. So I've heard that freezer time will get rid of trichinosis. I've heard people swear that it does, and I've heard people swear that it doesn't. So I don't know really. I'm not going to mess around with that one. Yeah, just hit the temperature when you're cooking. The, The second thing I've heard about bears is that they stink, and I have never killed a bear that... 
I thought stunk. They're a pretty clean animal. Um, and every one that I've skinned and gutted, they smell differently than like deer and elk do, obviously. Sure. But I've never like been downwind of a bear and felt like I caught a whiff of it. And I don't know. I, that's just like a prevailing thing is that bears stink and i don't know if maybe if a bear's been sprayed by a skunk a couple of times or something i guess but i don't know i've never experienced that myself so i think it's because they don't smell like an ungulate people are just like well they don't smell right well of course they don't smell like that i mean if you had one that came out of the landfill the public for sure he's gonna stink if they've been on an elk carcass in the spring that that yeah that day yeah they're gonna have some stink (laughs) i harvested one on in pacific northwest that was eating on a salmon stream big big boar you know one of those uh, prince of wales bears and he had some salmon rot smell, him, yeah. but he wasn't, he was actually really, it was just his face and his paws, right? Mm-hmm. From the, the rotten salmon carcass, he'd, he'd been mm-hmm. eating fresh salmon too, but yeah. And it was still wasn't like you were going to smell him a mile away. It was yeah. just a, it was a different odor like Patrick was mentioning. So mm-hmm. yeah. And the ones that I've, the fat that I've pulled off of fall bears, cause up here, most fall bears are eating berries, huckleberries and blueberries and stuff. The, the last fall bear I killed, I, after I got him, I kind of, cut his stomach open just because i wanted to see it. it was just loaded full of blueberries so um they they have a really sweet smelling fat which is why i like cooking and baking with it because it's it's got it doesn't smell good when you're rendering it but when it sets up as as oil and lard it it smells pretty good and it's got a really nice fragrance to it so that's, i've heard uh, in alaska i've never done it but the bears eat so many blueberries that the fat actually turns purplish blue that'd be cool i'd love they to call that. them blueberry bears in the fall that's because that's those yeah i've chased them a few times up those avalanche shoots and you can see yep. them out there if you're ever in alaska in the fall just look up any one of those mountain faces and you'll yeah. see a big black dot going across and yeah the the fat is actual purple in color because they've consumed cool. so many blueberries. I would, I would love to kill one in Alaska. You know, for a long time, I really was not the kind of guy that like I'm just kind of a chronic walker, and I want to see a new place every fall, which does not lend itself to like dialing in a species in an area or a, or a drainage. Yeah, you're exactly. never back. <laughs> uh, and that's too. That was kind of one of the things I guess. Like kind of a, a little bit of a maturing process was like exploring all these areas up here, and then like forcing myself to like okay, we're going to hunt this drainage this fall and get things dialed in. So um, I guess just kind of inadvertently in the springtime when there's limited options to hunt for, well, like in the fall, I feel like I'm kind of bouncing around to a lot of different places. But in the springtime, it's like I only have one option to chase black bears. So kind of inadvertently, I kind of black bears kind of became my species. The one the one thing that I consistently well, have you're, a little bit of success. You're at, going so. filming for everybody. I mean, yeah. including me and anybody, right? Yeah. So you're, you're follow. We already talked about it this year. You're, you're booked from... Yeah. August till November, you're on a trip somewhere with somebody. Yeah, it's a little bit of wild fall, a couple of breaks in there, but uh, it's uh, it's one of those things where I'm always excited for the fall to start. You know, it's you know sunshine and roses, and then by the time Christmas time gets here, I just want to go home. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just want to go home. Yeah, but we'll talk so. about your business a little bit because it's grown a lot since we had you on the first time. Yeah, you've been a lot of really cool places. You've been kind of all over the world, really. So talk a little bit about your business, what you offer, and yeah what you've been up to well you know i kind of went over this last time i guess a little bit but ever since i was a little kid like all i wanted to do was um hunt as many different species around the world as i could and make videos of it because it was i enjoyed as a little kid watching you know the outdoor channel and stuff and every time there was like another whitetail hunt on i just got annoyed (laughs) i was like okay get it thank you we're hunting whitetails again (laughs) which is still cool and i kind of appreciate that more than i did then but um i liked watching jim shockey and 
stuff that you know you never knew where in the world they were going to be and what species they were hunting and i was ever since i was a little kid i was like that i want to do that you know but then i went to college and kind of told myself like that's not for normal people like join the real world and get a job and i really enjoyed teaching and stuff but after a couple of years it just really started eating at me that i wanted to try so we uh kind of made a plan and started buying cameras and stuff and did a just a real bad job at filming some hunts around here <laughs> and uh we, uh, you know, eventually got to the point where I stopped teaching and left it for the time being. And basically ever since then, if we've had an opportunity to go somewhere and film something, we're, we're going to do it. So we started filming for other people, too, to kind of keep the lights on and pay the bills. But in the meantime, we were saving money to go do our own trips and film our own hunts and stuff. And it's kind of morphed now into um, we were, you know, really lucky to get monetized on YouTube with our own content on Blue Creek Outdoors. And so hopefully someday that kind of focus shifts to, you know, mostly producing our own content, too, and then getting drug along by David whenever he'll have us. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, we've uh, one of the very first films we hunted or f- hunts we filmed was over in Europe. We hunted for roe deer, which is a, a July hunt, which was pretty cool. And then um, a couple years ago, went to Africa and I'll be back in Africa next month, actually, for this to start this fall off. And been to Alaska a few times and all over the West. And I told David one time we were, I was filming a javelina hunt with you a couple of years ago. And I said, I want to film a hunting trip and a fishing trip in every state. Like that's something I'm going to start checking off. And he goes, uh, well, that ain't that hard. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> well, it's a little time consuming. He goes, why don't you do a hunting trip, a fishing trip, and a bird hunt in every state? And I was like, fine, we'll just do that too, I guess. <laughs> we'll just add that in. Yeah, just add so, another 50 films for you. Yeah, right? so I think part of what has uh, kind of played into our success a little bit is, you know, you always have to have a little bit of a, an urgency, I guess, a healthy amount of urgency. You know, we need to plan and execute and get things done. But then also at the same time, we understand that some of the goals we have are this is a long-term goal. We'll still be kicking at this when I'm 60 probably. So, you know, it's just trying to balance that. You know, you don't want to say like, oh, we'll do that next year. Oh, we'll do that next year. We'll do that next year. Just, you know, next year gets here and you never do it. But at the same time, like there's things that are going to take some time. So it's just one of those things that we just, uh, you know, we right now we're sustainably kicking out a video every single month on the first of the month. And that's a lot of work. That's yeah. that's a heck of a lot of <laughs> filming to do on top of the trips that we're filming for other people so on top of editing yeah getting it all edited and everything else edited and everything and i do that because i'm control freak so i (laughs) haven't outsourced any of that yet so but yeah no it's been doing good and you know i i you know we're growing it's kind of a cool thing to see the numbers how many films are on the channel now um actual hunt videos i actually don't know i'm guessing probably high 20s 26 27 somewhere in there probably um, and you were in just the first couple when we first interviewed you the, the yeah, first time yeah yeah so. hadn't done very many it's was been just, several years yeah, since and, you've been on yeah it's it's kind of a, a hit and miss thing too because like last year we we hunted coos deer in mexico had a great spring bear hunt we made a really cool fishing trip in the gulf and it's like last year we just felt like we couldn't miss like we were kicking out videos that did really well and they still perform really well on a daily basis now and then we went through a spell of like eight, 10 months, you know, and it was just like, man, none of this is, none of things going right for us. Like we mm-hmm. had some rough fishing trips some rough hunts and it was just like, oh man. So it's one of those things where the second you feel like you're doing pretty good, you're going to get humbled really quick. <laughs> oh, I know. Like I was thinking about that just recently because I had a few years ago, I had this streak of like master anglers. I was catching yeah. lots of different species. Yeah, you were on a hot anglers, And then I caught... A whole bunch of fish that were an inch short yeah or a half inch short and i'm not gonna lie and turn them in and so i just like whatever mm-hmm. and then i catch two state records yeah so it's like <laughs> you know it, it's just the you ride the roller coaster right like yep. sometimes things are just 
perfect and other yep. times you're just like gosh i just yeah. traveled all this way and i came up short this sucks we kind of just have had a motto that my austin and i we just tell each other like nothing dies on the couch man nothing dies on the couch and there's times we that's like we put in a hard week or whatever and we're supposed to come back do our laundry turn around and go somewhere else and i'm just like dude i'm gonna stay home <laughs> and, just, and then we just keep each other accountable you know nothing dies on the couch get your stuff packed let's go so it's uh it's cool it's it's uh, one of those things where you know everybody you know, your job is to make a great video, you know, that people want to watch in it. And you do have an epic time. You know, these these experiences are, they're incredible. And we've done a lot of things. If nothing else, at this point, we've done a lot of trips and stuff that are once in a lifetime for most people. And a lot of people are never in a lifetime trip. But at the same time, <laughs> there's a lot of time of the year that you are a really long ways from home. You're cold, you're uncomfortable, you're tired, you do not want to be where you are, and uh, you just don't you want... You keep looking at me when you're saying I do keep looking things. at you. <laughs> <laughs> David's sitting over here like he's talking about I, me again. I told you earlier today that like I think f- three of my top five worst pack outs of my life were at you because of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, type two yeah, fun. Yeah, type two fun for sure. You look back on it and you're like, man, that was wild. I can't believe we did that. But in the moment, there's anywhere else you could be, you'd pick it. <laughs> so. But on, on the other side of the fence for me you know i'm gonna go do those trips yeah either way they're yep. they've been getting done i've been doing them for over a decade and yep. i'm gonna continue yep. that's why i moved and lived in alaska right yep but i've never had the skills capability or interest in filming any of that right mm-hmm. because i've tried i way back in the day i got a little big gopro like the second or third one went out in the field recorded absolute garbage came home and went <laughs> I, I missed hitting the record button like five times. I'm like, I didn't even get that piece, right? Yeah, yeah. One point in time, we put the camera up on a bear barrel on a bait. It died like, uh, we got the kill shot, but it died during the kill shot, right? Yeah. And so I just kind of threw my hands up in the air and said, filming's yeah. not for me. I'm not, I don't want a cameraman over my shoulder saying, you know, I could be on a potential world record Sitka blacktail at 15 yards, full draw off my bow, and the yep. cameraman go, uh, I don't have it, don't shoot. I'll be like, uh, yeah. no, you get out of here. So yep. kudos to you because our, our sheep film, it would have never been, it wouldn't have existed if you hadn't been there. The trip, yeah. I'd have a photo to show you right yeah. now of, hey, look at this monster ram my dad killed. Yep. But what's really cool for me is... I get to sit down with my five-year-old and then the 10 year olds like he, he wants to play video games in Minecraft and, and go build <laughs> Legos, right? But I can get the five-year-old, hey, you want to watch Grandpa Kill a Doll Sheep? And I love that. We've watched that film 20 times. Yeah. Why? It's a really good film, guys. I mean, Joe did a fantastic job of, of, now by the skin of our teeth, we got some assets, right? Yeah. For sure. Yep. And you've learned and your skills have grown tremendously this mm-hmm. latest film that you've done for me i mean we got to preliminary it yesterday i'm yep. pretty excited we've got some yeah. shots that we just didn't get on the no, sheep hunt no i that's the thing too is like i i feel like that's been the plus side to filming and editing is because you know i'd film something and then i'd be on the computer and in my mind i was like man i should have held on that longer or i should have gotten this shot or i should have you know gotten different uh angles and different aspects you know maybe something close up then a wider shot or whatever so now i think that um, when I'm filming, I'm already thinking of like what I want to see in this moment on the computer. And I think that's helped me out quite a bit as well. But things do happen. Like you said, they just add a, a really, it adds a level of difficulty. But my goal is like to um, always have a, if, if I can, no matter what the moment is, I'm looking at the things that I can control. So like, okay, if, am I not getting this shot? Can this person not shoot because I'm, (laughs) I'm messed up Mm -hmm. and I'm not doing my job? Or is it a situation where it's like, you can't shoot because 
Um, there just is a tree in the way or like there's something, mm. sometimes it's not your fault. And that's the most frustrating thing. It's like, if you want this on film, you can't shoot yet. <laughs> like having to tell somebody that. And they're like, some, most people understand like, Oh, that just was not our situation. Was it? And but, there, but there's yeah. some chemistry between you and I as like, yeah. when we go on a trip and I'm like, Hey, I need you to go up this cliff and we're going to get back at midnight. Like, All right, let's do it. We're going. Yeah. And when, when a shot presents itself, you're right there with the camera on my shoulder and it's done. Having that in a level of, we, we've talked about it. You said you're going to start charging me a per pound per mile. <laughs> per pound per mile for pack outs, yeah. <laughs> with, with, with overtime Probably rates wise. after midnight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Heck, you'd buy me a new house in one trip, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, guys, I have put a, a few pounds in Joe's pack more than Joe once. Joe has suffered. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, that's the cool thing, though, about it is like, you know, once you've hunted with somebody for a long time is that's the nice thing about it is because like, you know, I can kind of read your body language. I kind of know what you're thinking, depending on the situation. And I because when you first start with somebody, I feel like I have to be really annoying and ask a lot of stuff. Like, I'm like, OK, what do you think? Now, sometimes that makes a better video because I force them to talk to the, tell the camera what we're doing. But it's also just helping me out because I don't know what they're thinking with with you. Sometimes I feel like my challenge is like I have to keep asking you questions because I don't you know, I, I don't need to know what you're doing. I know what you're doing but we're making a video where somebody doesn't know what you're thinking right now <laughs> so that's kind and, of yeah. another challenging aspect of it there's once or twice when you know either a miss happens or like this latest film we get a harvest but it it just wasn't the way i wanted it done yeah. and you yeah. you shove that camera right in my face well what just happened david i'm like <laughs> yeah. i'm like you know exactly what happened yeah. and right now if that camera wasn't on i'm gonna punch you in the face just <laughs> yeah. go away I, I don't want to talk about yeah. this i'm a little bit upset and frustrated that this didn't go the way i planned it but border line that being said too and I, I think i told you this like the next day or something it's like i'm thinking about this video and what's what the cool thing about that is you know we're gonna get those highest highs and everybody wants to talk to the camera when we're having a high now you might want to punch me in the face when we're having a low <laughs> but i'm still shoving that camera in your face because that's the real low you know what i'm saying and i think that sometimes me and me and austin we agreed starting this and i don't know if this was a bad decision or not but we agreed that we're never ever going to reshoot something we're never going to reshoot a stock we're never going to recreate anything so if that costs us a shot if that costs us something in the video, then that's just going to be the way it is. Our All, all of our videos are going to be exactly the way things went down and Authentic. what the camera was rolling. Yeah. And if we screw it up, that's just on us. So, you know, we could have we could have gone back and said, like, hey, I need you to put some, you know, puppy dog tears in your eyes and re we're going to re-talk about that. But it was like, no, I and I know it's borderline insensitive, but no, we're I'm right here. <laughs> we're going to talk about this right no, now. I think that's good because yeah. it's authentic. Yeah. Because there's too many of those shows that do that garbage, you mm -hmm. know, even in fishing yeah. where they build up they, a ton they, of suspense about a, a catch or release that never even happened. Exactly. Yeah. Or they, they just flat out lie to you mm -hmm. on what happened. It's like, no, just let it be real. That's, yep. that's what the consumer, at least yep. myself, that's what I want to see. I want to see when David's like, that really sucks. Yeah. You know, or man, did you see that? That was great. And that's one thing. If like people that really follow our channel and stuff, I, you know, someday in my mind, I'm like, if something absolutely epic and crazy happens, like our spring black bear hunt last year, I want you to, if you've watched all of our videos, I want you to be like, Oh, that is a hundred percent what went down. And that's exactly how it happened because I've watched, you know, the last two videos that were terrible, <laughs> you know? So it's just kind of, I, it's, it's borderline insensitive. And some, and I think at first I was really uncomfortable doing that to people, you know, like getting their, mm -hmm. get in their face a little bit and saying, Hey, this so is a, you have a paying clientele that's hired you yeah. to, to come along yeah. and film their adventure. And yep. you kind of have to be 
almost annoying. Uh, right? Yeah, hundred percent annoying. And it's like I'm here to tell this story. And if this camera's not rolling, we're not telling the story. And if you're not talking, then we don't get the information. Then why am I even here? Yeah, yeah. and I'm not here to make anything happen. I'm here to film what happens. Yes. <laughs> well, and I mentioned to you one of my favorite fishing channels, the Uncutting Link yeah, Channel yeah. with Aaron Weeb. That was his thing. Was we're not going to stage all this stuff, mm -hmm. right? Like we're not going to stage hook sets. We're not going to stage this. We're not, it's going to be real. Yep. Like I'm going to bust off a fish and I'm going to be really mad because yep. I just lost this big muskie or whatever it is, yeah. but at least it's a real show. And that's yep. something that's always appealed to me as a consumer because you don't want to be lied to on no. these shows. It is fun because sometimes funny stuff happens. Super too, funny right? stuff and happens. it's like, yeah. okay, that was pretty awesome, you know, because you get a good laugh because everybody's been there, mm -hmm. right? They're like, oh, yeah, had that happen before. Yeah, exactly. You know, we're not here to make ourselves look like superstars. We're just here to tell hunting <laughs> stories, you know. And it does happen. Like last year I had to film Austin. I could not get to where I saw the coos deer he was about to shoot at. And he told me, he was like, I'm, I'm going to shoot. And I was like, all right, man. So I just filmed him at a bad angle. It just was the way it just was what happened. So it was just like, well, we're going to put this together, throw it in there. And you know, not everything is going to give you a million dollar kill shot, which is, I think those are important. You need to get those more often than not, but you know, once in a while, if that's the, what, that's what goes down, then that's what goes down. It's not going to happen. So it's just, you know, I think telling the story for what it is, is important to me for sure. So. Well, my Cape Buffalo film, I mean, you weren't part of it, but I didn't make a one arrow kill, mm -hmm. right? And we show that I had to pull the rifle out and finish yeah. Cape Buffalo off. I am not the first guy. I no. won't be the last guy. No. We could have just easily shown a dead Skipped buffalo. It over, yeah, yeah. Go, oh, look, we got him. No, it, to your credit of the camera rolling, you know, mm -hmm. we've got epic footage of a doll sheep walking yeah. by where I would, could tell people, hey, <laughs> that was cool. you know, I, I was within touching distance of a doll sheep walking by. No, you can go watch it right yeah. now. You can watch the reel and it's awesome because yeah. it's two feet away. And I think on the other side of that, like you're talking about your Cape Buffalo, this there's another balance in that regard too, because I quite honestly get pretty irritated on social media sometimes when I take... When I see pictures or video clips that I think they're not very respectful of the animal or what happened, you know, I I don't need to see footage of a gut shot deer flopping around for five minutes. No, I hate that. That might stuff. be what happens, and I'm not saying that doesn't happen because those kind of things do happen. But I just think at the you know on one hand it's like you don't want to pretend that kind of stuff doesn't happen, but on the other side of it is like, you know, how do we how do we portray? a bad shot or a mistake because i've done this in videos it's like how do we portray that this didn't go perfectly you know be honest about it but at the same time we don't have to be overly graphic yeah we don't need yeah. to turn people off and we don't need to give quite frankly um the other side any ammo to to do us in with it but well because you don't feel good about it when you make a bad no, shot no, no one does no, no we don't go out there to do that. that no that's not the reason no but if you do hunt 12 months out of the year it's gonna happen. it's going to happen if yeah. you if you're a catch and release fly fisherman at some point in time you're going to hook a fish either in summer water and and you're going to exhaust it yep. or you're going to hook a fish deep even with flies mm -hmm. to where you're going to get into a gill or get into a jaw where you're already where you go to release that fish and he bleeds and yep. goes belly up and is or, floating down the river or yep. you're just trying to secure him and he flops out of your hands yeah like stuff stuff happens stuff happens yeah and, yeah, that's and what it is to sit there and say it never happens, it happens, you yeah. know, and you know, you could have a huge lake or you want to release that just dies. Yep. Yep. Now, I think a lot of people's opinion of that is like, I think of King Salmon on the Kenai River. It's a cold river. It's a fast river. It's a salmon. The, the survivability rate, there's a study and I don't have it in front of me, but as long as you land that fish pretty quickly and release it, those King Salmon, 
need a little time to rejuvenate, but they're pretty durable. They're they're a much more durable fish in forty five degree water. Makes sense, yeah. Than we're talking a trout is in almost 70, 80 degree water. Yeah. And that's one thing too, is just like traveling around and stuff. There's a lot of stuff that's legal in other places that, you know, like for example, there's some places in the South where you can hunt deer with dogs and it's like, <sighs> very effective, very effective. I'm kind of intrigued by it, but at the same time, I don't know if that's a great video to make. I don't know. It's, it's legal, you know, but a lot of people would consider it unethical. And that's kind of where a lot of those lines get blurred because the part, the cool part about traveling is not only chasing different species in different places is, but like, there's a lot of different customs and a lot of different ways to go about things throughout the world. You and, and I talked about the guy in Europe yeah, with yeah. badgers and dogs. That and was that, incredible. Yeah. You told me about that and it's... I mean, we'll let the listener. These guys are going out and they're turning their Jack Russell Terriers, Patterdales, Patterdales Terriers. Yep, they put a little locator on them and um, they set them down a badger hole. And you know, if there's badgers down there, they, the dog's job is to pin it down or corner it in a spot. And you dig, you you, you use get a little shovel. locator to to find out where it is, and you start digging. And we did that, and it Jeez. was it was wild. It was one of those things where. You know, he kept talking about it all week long. He was like, let's get tagged out on road deer because I want to show you what I live to do, and that is hunt badgers. And I was like, all right, man, <laughs> we'll go for it. And that's, we dug, it was, uh, you know, it was a four-hour ordeal. And you'd get to you'd get to where you'd put your shovel in the ground, and you could feel the, 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 um, tussle, the going tussle going on underneath Jeez. the ground. And uh, you could hear the barking in the ground and the fighting, and you could hear when the badger had a hold of the dog sits yipping and yiping and everything. And you'd be tired and sweating, but the dog starts yipping, and you just start digging faster. I'm coming, You're like, I'm, I'm coming, coming. I'm coming. <laughs> it was, uh, but we finally uncovered the dog, and uh, they were actually getting mad at the dog because it had a hold of the badger and it would not let go. Um, so they were trying to get it out of the hole. We dug, I mean, we dug, I think, because it moved, like the fight, like moved throughout the tunnel. So that's how he knew like, this is a good badger. Like it's a good one. It's, it's a big one where it's, it's moving this dog around. And uh, so we dig like a four foot hole here, a five foot hole here and just kind of choke it down into the middle. And we got it down there and the, they try not to shoot it. And like their, their whole thing about an honorable um, a good fight, an honorable fight, a respectable fight is that you get the, they have a catch dog, which is a bull terrier at the top. And once they get the badger out of the hole, the bull terrier fights it uh, while a hunter grabs its tail. Another hunter comes in with a knife and seals the deal. Kind of like uh, pigs. Yeah. <laughs> that's how they hunt pigs too, is uh, their powder deals. Like they'll both grab, they'll have two of them or whatever. They'll grab an ear to pin the head down while the hunter comes in and uses a knife. And the thing about the Europeans is it's like, it's all about the, the honor of the, of what happened, right? It, either of the animals has the opportunity to walk away from this. And that's, that's the true spirit of it is because I, I even explained to him, I was like, Hey man, I was like, we, we trap badgers at home, like foot traps, or whatever. And he was disgusted. He was like, that's a trick. That's not, that's not a fair fight. That's not very honorable. And I was like, well, it's a lot less brutal than this. Is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was probably the one thing I've seen in the, around the world that like it happened. We were there. I was, man, I was grateful to experience it, but I just remember standing there. The badger was stabbed and dead. And uh, I just remember standing there going, man, I do not know how I feel right now. Right. I might yeah. get, it was brutal. I'm going to bring this up because sometimes I feel there's a hierarchy of people say, well, I fish, I don't hunt. And I'm, you know, and 
I just, I'm not trying to throw fishermen under the bus because I am a fisherman, right? Was a fisherman before I was ever a hunter, but we joked about this today. If I was to put a corn pile or an alfalfa <laughs> pile out there, put a treble hook in it and drag a deer elk under the water and go, oh, he's not big enough and throw him back, <laughs> we would ban that in two seconds, yeah. right? So I just, because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking at it from the outside, it can be a little bit intimidating whether it's walruses or whales or narwhals or badgers in europe versus here right but i think you need to approach it with an open mind and if it's being done through a holistic conservation method bears are a great example you're utilizing the meat and the fat and the hide the claws and the skulls Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of that bear left after you leave a kill site no and there's a lot that gets utilized yeah it's you know it's it's one of those things where i there's a few animal species around the world that they that are not eaten like lions, for example, in Africa, they don't typically eat those. They don't eat leopards for the most part. Um, coyotes are so one. Coyotes, I'll kill coyotes all day long, but that might be the only one I don't care about. Only because I've seen them pull fawns out of pregnant doe deer and stuff like that. So after that, my remorse for coyotes kind of goes out the window. But And I, I know all the other things do that too, but I, I would have a hard time killing an animal that didn't get eaten. That would That would kind of bug me, I think, unless it was you know, really, really important for the conservation of it, which, which sometimes is definitely the case. And there's, there's just different species out there that really fire people up and some that don't fire other people. I personally do not have the want or the desire to kill an elephant, but I want more than anything in the world to go film an elephant hunt for somebody that does that. I just, I think I can help facilitate that. (laughs) That would be, that would be incredible. And to see, you know, I've talked to a lot of outfitters over there. They said they get an elephant down and then they they call the village or whatever, and then here everybody comes with their baskets and everything, mm-hmm. and that elephant is gone by the end of the day. By the end of the day, the whole elephant is gone. That is wild. I would love to be there to just experience it and see it, but having spent a lot, you know, a decent amount of time watching elephants, I don't know that I have the desire to pull the trigger on one, but I'm glad that yeah. people do, and I'm glad that they are hunted. So, um, just it's one of those things. It's like there's a lot of different stuff out there that floats people's boats and sometimes it doesn't but it's you know it's i have a hard time condemning it or judging it until i go see it firsthand so well and that's kind of the beauty of like hunting and fishing in the communities that we have is is trying to understand those perspectives even if it's something that makes you feel uncomfortable because maybe you didn't grow up doing it yeah but maybe these you know like in africa they have some hunts that are pretty brutal as well (laughs) it's like and those kids grow up doing that and that's what they do to provide for their families and it's something that might turn our stomachs but you know what it's good to think about that and be Mm -hmm. like you know i understand why they do that and i think about too like how much better it is for animals with you know a lot of the technology and things we have today that make it a quicker and effective more clean way to do things because i i think about buffalo jumps i think about them running buffalo (laughs) over the side of a cliff that turns my stomach but what else were you going to do at that point well yeah they didn't didn't have the technology to bring them down otherwise that was the way to do it and And uh, and when you're over there starving yeah every this has been done in every communist country everywhere the delicacies in those countries are half grown chicken eggs or scorpions or fried crickets why are the delicacies those things because the first thing that happens during that civil war that started the the communist country is all the beef, all the cattle, all the pigs, all the chickens are eaten and gone. Yeah. And, then and the, the people are and left to eat else. snakes and rabbits and yeah. birds and squirrels. Whatever yeah. they can get. Yeah. yeah. And so when you're sitting over there looking at what's... That's very narcissistic for us to sit here and condemn these people for doing something mm-hmm. when we can drive down to the local grocery store and have a plethora of protein yeah. on the shelf, right? Yep. 
when you're when you're sitting there in a in a dirt hut looking out out the window and you're hungry yeah. everything is dinner but at the core fundamental i guess purpose of like kind of why i have the drive to do these things is like you know i just believe that god created a a big earth with a whole lot of adventures and species and people on it and i think that i've gotten to more i guess of a mature worldview um going on these trips and not only doing the things that we do, but spending time with someone that loves doing that and then maintaining a friendship with these people. Yeah. And, and then, you know, that's just kind of, and, and then hopefully doing a good enough job on film to tell that story and kind of bring these people to life, I guess, in a story. Cause there's a lot of people out there that, you know, obviously we won't ever meet all the people in the world, but there's somebody out there on every single continent that loves to hunt and fish and they're passionate about the animals that they chase. And uh, that's a really, really special thing. And as many of those people as I can spend as much time with as I possibly can, I'm going to try. So yeah. um, that's that's really the cool thing about this is um, getting to be pretty good friends with people that are all over the place. And some one of my buddies kind of got a little disgusted with me the other day because I actually for a while was talking about going on a snowshoe hunt in Russia with an outfitter over there. And everything that's going on over there now, you know, I've heard, I've heard a lot of people canceled hunts in Russia. They say, you know, I'm not going over there while they're doing what they're doing. Well, the outfitter that I'm talking to, this guy is an outfitter, you know, like, yeah, you know, that guy. Right? you know him, you yeah. know, how, you know, I don't necessarily always identify with our government either. So it's like that guy is an outfitter that takes people on hunting and fishing trips, sheep trips and moose hunts and bear hunts and stuff. And that guy is, if you live in Montana, Wyoming, and you know people in the outdoor industry, like you, I'm saying, you know, that guy. You know him. You don't speak his language. No. You don't eat his food. No. Right? You may not even wear the same label clothes he wears, yeah. but deep down his drive and desire is to go harvest yeah. the biggest sheep yeah. and to have a better sheep population next yep. year in his area than he did last year. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can connect with people all around the world, but I think the hunting and fishing is one of the coolest ways to go spend time with somebody. And you, that's kind of, not to say that I was like closed-minded beforehand, but you know, I kind of always knew like, oh yeah, there's people that live in other places. But now it's like, <laughs> no, this person's literally no different than I am. They're, they are no different <laughs> just because they live somewhere else. And you know, they're just chasing different species and I want to go learn from them and maybe get them over here to chase some of the stuff we got over here. And that's, that's been, I, I don't know, that's just kind of hit really a really hard home hitting thing with me is, is just realizing that this is, this is a a big thing is just to connect in that way and kind of levels everything out. Just we're all the same. And um, it's a really cool well, thing to spend time with these people. To go back to something you said a little bit earlier, it's something I firmly believe is that God made us stewards of this planet, that mm -hmm. we are to conserve, take care of what we've been given. Yep. And, and that's a huge responsibility. And you're right. We have our brothers and sisters in Africa that are doing it in yep. Asia all over the globe and we're yeah. all in this together yeah and it's important for us to remember that yeah like it's not all about us here on the north american no, continent we're, you know? we're a slice of the picture we're just a little piece of that yeah and it's important to keep that perspective when we go out and do what we do yeah yeah that's just kind of been the fundamental the, the driving force behind that is just kind of just feel convicted to go see the see those people and see those animals and tell those stories so i uh like i said though it's sometimes it works out and you have a slam dunk story to tell somebody <laughs> and then other times you're just scratching your head but maybe that that's the time that you learn a lesson personally for yep. yourself that yep. you never forget right it's like, oh yeah you know this what didn't turn into a great film but it changed me as an individual yeah and it led to this yeah you know that's good yeah and and a lot of times too i think that it's not good to just like go have 
just this outstanding experience every single time. I think it's it, it builds a little bit more fortitude to go and like, oh, we're gonna have to come back and mm-hmm. chase this animal again. <laughs> you know, it makes you appreciate things a little bit more. You know, so oh, well, you'll see that on our our latest Kodiak film is yeah. I, I guess I don't know if I knuckled under or caved or whatever, but I mean, we 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 had a great trip, great trip, awesome trip, and it's. It's cemented in in film to where I'm going to get to watch it long after some of the participants are no longer here with us, right? Mm. But it, it comes down to that that piece you mentioned is I learned something, right? Yeah. And I get to take that <laughs> yeah. with me, whether it's on film or not. <laughs> yeah. And you're you're getting you're now you're going you're doing it you're there, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, sometimes it's kind of got to pinch yourself a little bit. <laughs> like, oh, all right, we're we're doing well, this. Think about a few years ago when you were first on this podcast. You hadn't yeah. done a whole bunch of this stuff. No, huh? And it's mostly aspirations, is what it was. Yeah, and now you're so, really doing it, and yeah. I think it's awesome. And you know, hopefully, everybody who's listening will go to YouTube and subscribe to Yeah know, Blue be Creek awesome. Outdoors and and check you out because I I, I appreciate the videos. I watch them, appreciate and it's, it's fun. Yeah, you know, it's cool to see different places, different perspectives, and yeah, watch people live out their passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's you know. I've really tried to make this is something that I guess in in one way, shape, or form, I guess kind of see myself as the tool to make these videos happen. Like this isn't so much about me. Like I don't want to be making videos about myself all the time because I'm I don't know I don't really see myself as worth talking about all that oh, much. Come on. A lot of times I want to make the subject of the film the species. Like what are we like? We're gonna hunt blue diker next month in Africa, one of the smallest antelope species in the world. The vast majority of people probably don't think that's a cool thing. I think that's awesome. Um, so that's gonna be like I just think I'm really looking forward to it. We're gonna go learn about blue diker and see where they live and and get some great footage of them and and then hopefully uh, hopefully get a good kill on one and. Just be able to show it up close in the camera. Something that most people will never even see on the internet, let alone in person. Okay. So um, it's just like one of those things that I'm really looking forward to, to, to be able to share and tell tell the story of. So it's just, you know, and then there's the, and then there's going to be one after that that I look forward to and work hard for. And But that's still at the same time, like we have a lot of deer and elk and antelope hunts planned for this fall to film. So it's like I look forward to every single one of those because it's a little bit more closer to home and a little more uh, something I... A little more comfortable knowledge wise with and mm-hmm. um we started filming hunts a lot with the outdoor dream foundation every single year my dad guides a couple of those hunts every year with kids that are either terminally ill or um have a you know a life-threatening disease that's a really special film to be able to make every year um i potentially might be filming a um a lot of deer hunts this fall with an organization that runs runs hunts for wounded veterans so just those kinds of things you know just to kind of show the scope of what the hunting industry has to offer and the things like that that get put on and there's no shortage of stories to tell every fall and that's that's the cool part about it yep well it's been awesome having you on the podcast again yeah i appreciate it thank you very and much. we really appreciate your hospitality having us come up here it's been a lot of fun yeah. flathead lake is gorgeous one of the prettiest places i've been in the lower 48 and it's it's incredible here yeah it's a tough place to be for sure so yeah, i really appreciate you guys tough. coming up <laughs> yeah but uh if anybody wanted to follow blue creek and see what you're doing tell them how they do it yeah on on youtube is kind of the main push right now just blue creek outdoors and um, we're on Instagram and Facebook, and I, there's a lot of self-loathing involved with this, but we're also on TikTok, so <laughs> we've been making some <laughs> making some interesting TikTok Yeah, videos. we, uh, we kind of found a little niche that we kind of have a little fun with on there, So, but we'll, we throw those up on Instagram, too. So, yeah, Instagram and YouTube are kind of the main things that we would appreciate a big following on, where you have a new film that dropped today, and we're doing a, a giveaway with it that we'll kind of announce on Monday, so um, hopefully for the month of July, people will turn into a giveaway, and 
hopefully keep following along after that. So, well, thanks again, man. It's been super, super fun to be up here. And as always, it's great to have you on the show too. Yeah. Really appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. I just say, uh, make sure you don't forget to hit record. <laughs> yeah. Don't ever hit, forget hit to hit record. Button. Yep. Hit the button. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, we'll come back again with another episode of Radcast Outdoors soon, but again, go check out Blue Creek Outdoors and again, go to radcastoutdoors.com and see what we're up to as well. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors.